All right, welcome to Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. It's Sunday. Hope you're having fun. Fun enough, anyways. Well, I've got a good uh, lineup for you here today, so stay tuned. You're listening to WRFN LP Pasquo. Right in the backyard of Nashville, Tennessee. If you're streaming with us online, thank you. Hope it's coming through crystal clear. You're in for some jams. And if anybody happens to be on a road trip today, safe travels to you. No hurries, no worries, right? All right. Gonna get right into this. uh, So we can just keep moving right along. Action-packed is my style. Starting off today in Ghost Town, I'd like you to meet a group from Northampton, England, formed in 1978. On vocals is Peter Murphy, guitar Daniel Ash, Kevin Haskins on drums, and David J on bass. Originally named Bauhaus 1919, it was in reference to the first operating year of the art school Bauhaus. But they changed it within a year. Considered one of the first gothic rock groups, Bauhaus were known for their gloomy sound and dark image. Ooh. Here's their first single. It's a lengthy track, but it'll, uh, it'll be a nice uh, opener for the show today. We're going to be dark and gloomy for a minute, but not to the point where you're going to want to end it all. Just stay tuned. I'm Creepy Steve. I always take care of you. The 
When we chose Bella Lugosi, like it was a really sort of neat idea. Bella was like immediately not the classic vampire actor, was he? I mean, like in England, it was Vincent Price, for instance, and like he was fat. You know, like he wasn't the classic gaunt um, person, looking person. So we uh, we were talking about the whole vampire. Thing and how it was really erotic and how it was very, very... Uh, he was the, the most frightening monster of the monster movies. Frankenstein was incredible. It wasn't really... You, know, you couldn't really take it seriously, but... Dracula was, was almost, like, really attractive. You know? And it was that we wrote it around, that idea, and performed it like that. And like it was just a parody on that, but like underneath it was coming out. There were those sort of you recognise. Like it, it fitted perfectly within our set. The vampire legend and rock and roll seem to go particularly well together. What do the two of them have in common, do you think? It's the notion of the like erotic, of the distant, isolated, subtle like eroticism, which goes with, with the rock. Like it's like the shaman of old who who could actually command with his charisma the vampire's got that sort of feel you know the perfect rock star really you know like he can't have sex physical sex but with his victims or his audience you know mm. but he can have that sort of like erotic link with them it sucks sucks energy out of an audience which Bauhaus certainly did. Derek, the production assistant that works on our show, said he saw you when he was 15 and you scared the bejesus out of him. I scared somebody uh, the other night. There was this really nice 17-year-old boy at the front. He was looking at this, loving it. And like I approached him and he freaked. And I thought, what's going on? So like I just held it and said, it's okay, it's okay. And he sort of went, oh, thank God for that. And he smiled, you know. But that was the most important part of that show because, it, you know, I don't really want to scare people. It's just that, like, I'm 
I'm not there to scare, like I'm there to really act out something, like and live something and let somebody experience a show. Bella Lugosi's Dead received positive reviews and stayed on the British independent charts for two years. It received crucial airplay on BBC Radio 1 and DJ John Peel's evening show. And uh, they were subsequently asked to record a session for Beale's show, which was broadcast in January of 1980. The band then signed with 4AD label and released two more singles, Dark Entries in January of 1980 and Tara Couple Kill Colonel in June of the same year. And then they released their first album, In the Flat Field, in October of 1980. I'm going to go ahead and play Dark Entries for you. You're listening to Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve.
Dark Entries, the 1980 single by Bauhaus. Moving right on to the next artist, originally known as The Boys Next Door. An Australian post-punk band active from 78 to 83, and despite limited commercial success, this band's influence has been far-reaching, and they've been called one of the darkest and most challenging post-punk groups to emerge in the early 80s. Their bleak and noisy soundscapes, which drew on blues, free jazz, and rockabilly, provided the setting for vocalist Nick Cave's disturbing tales of violence and perversion. This single right here, particularly, was influential on the emerging gothic scene. This is the birthday party. Shows, I'm not sure they they have an, uh, they have a uh, massive sort of listening crowd to them, so they are a real lot of help. And anyone, I think anyone who generally listens to sort of new music generally listens to John Peel. I'm mm. not sure, but uh, yeah, that seems to be the case. I mean, I I noticed that uh, when uh, Small Wonder sort of decided to pretty much go out of business as a record label, they said well, one of the reasons is if you know if it's this unfortunate situation. If Teal doesn't play your record, it's not going to sell because no one's yeah. going to hear it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's rather a, a difficult position for him to be in. But uh, when he picks someone up and sort of champions them, well, it you know it really uh, does help and yeah. seems to have helped in you guys, uh, you guys' case. Yes, he was very kind. I don't know whether he 
tends to kind of um, help deliberately help the underdog or uh, whether you know he he, he played uh, other Australian stuff too I hear. Let's talk about England. Obviously, one of the the um, the impetus for going over there is that you felt that your music would be um, you know quite acceptable to what's going on there. And so I just wonder when you got there how you felt about that, how you saw yourselves fitting in. It took about three months or so to. Um, we went through a bit of a shock when we got there, and it took about three months or, or even maybe four to get um, any confidence back. Our initial um, performances were fairly sort of um, entirely unsatisfactory. Um, but by the end of it, they'd uh, improved a lot, and we'd gotten back and uh, into the run of things. In 1980, the birthday party moved from Melbourne to London where they were championed by broadcaster John Peel of BBC One. Though they were disillusioned by their stay in London, the band's sound and live shows became increasingly violent, and they broke up soon after relocating to West Berlin in 1983. Though the creative core of the birthday party, singer and songwriter Nick Cave, multi-instrumentalist and songwriter Mick Harvey, and singer-songwriter and guitarist Roland S. Howard later went on to acclaimed careers you might have heard of. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, little band. Anyways, moving right along. I'm going to play you one more single from the birthday party. Nick the Stripper, this is off their LP, Prayers of Fire.
Nick the Stripper, that's the birthday party. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. This is WRFN LP Pasquo, right in the backyard of Nashville, TN. And uh, moving right along, I'm going to go into this next band here. I'm um, going to focus mainly on one album, um, a handful of songs off, but I wish I had the time to play it all, really. I considered it, trust me, but um, just did not fit in with the, uh, with the time frame, with everything else I want to do today. Trust me, it's going to stay on point. If you're enjoying it, if not, it's going to stay crappy, so enjoy that. All right, Pornography, the fourth studio album by this English rock band, released on May 4th in 1982 on the record label Fiction. It was preceded by the non-album single Charlotte Sometimes and uh, was the band's first album with a new producer. Sessions saw the group on the brink of collapse, though, with heavy drug use, band infighting, and group leader Robert Smith's depression fueling the album's musical and lyrical content. This album represents the conclusion of the group's early, dark, gloomy musical phase, which began with the 17 Seconds LP in 1980. Here's the cure.
at that time, everything had just got too much. Really, the, the whole thing had become too intense and very depressing. And uh, just everything seemed to be wrong. And we didn't seem to really be achieving what I wanted us to achieve. It just, I don't know, we seemed to be sort of stagnating and me and Simon were just fighting all the time and eventually it just got to the point where um, Simon left and there's just me and Lowell left and I, th I just couldn't face, after how close I'd been to Simon and how good I thought the group had been for about two years as a three-piece, I thought, you know, and um, we didn't seem to have got anywhere, really. I mean, we'd made pornography, which I was really pleased, you know, really proud of and um, no-one else liked it and it just everything it sort of seemed to be going wrong, so I decided just to go off for a few months. So I just sort of disappeared. I, I took a tent and went camping around, dusting around England. And um, I just found that I was writing songs again.
in the words of Robert Smith regarding the album's conception. I had two choices at the time, he said, which were either completely giving in, which meant committing suicide, or making a record of it and getting it out of me. He also claims he really thought that that was it for the group. In his words, I had every intention of signing off. I wanted to make the ultimate F-off record and then sign off with the band. Smith was mentally exhausted during that period of time. He says, I was in a really depressed frame of mind between 1981 and 1982. The band had been touring for almost 200 days a year, and it all got to be a bit too much because there was never any time to do anything else. Here's a little more on his uh, interview. I remember the Oxford Roadshow. I, I phoned the office like once a week just to see, you know, how everyone was and what was going on. And uh, they'd asked us to play, so I thought it'd be good just to say yes, even though we didn't have a group. And that would force me to do something because I was getting even worse, I was getting more depressed. So um, we just sort of we threw together I don't know, a group from nowhere and just went and did it. And it was really, I suppose, part of it was... I was sort of trying to prove to Simon, looking back, that the group could carry on without him. It was sort of, there was a kind of pride involved, and that the sort of the songs and the idea of the group was more important than any of the individual members. It was that sort of idea. So I thought I just need to get anyone with me on stage and just play songs, photography. It was actually set up as a promotional exercise for Let's Go to Bed, and we were supposed to do Let's Go to Bed on it, but at the last minute we changed it and did songs from pornography.
You're listening to The Cure. This is Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. All off of uh, their fourth LP, Pornography. The first one you heard, A Short-Term Effect, The Hanging Garden, and you just heard The Figurehead. I've got one more for you off of Pornography, and then we're going to move on. And just a quick few words from Robert Smith once more. And then, though... A Strange Day. That's the last one. It's the only one I can fit in. I'm so sorry. I wish I could play the whole record. Anyway, stay tuned. WRFN, LP Pasquo. We had like two weeks from being told to actually performing, and it was all just thrown together, and it was really good fun. And I actually enjoyed myself like I hadn't for about two years, and I felt really like I was singing.
Pornography, a very special album by a very special band, The Cure. Hope you've been enjoying. Moving right along in Ghost Town, and speaking of special, this next band is truly that. A Scottish rock band, active from 79 to 97. Original members were singer Elizabeth Fraser, guitarist Robin Guthrie, and bassist Will Heggie, who was replaced by multi-instrumentalist Simon Raymond in 1983. This group has earned much critical praise for its innovative, ethereal sound and the distinctive soprano vocals of Fraser. Got one for you right now off their debut LP released in 1982 called Garlands. And uh, this track is Blood Bitch. We're going to take it right into track two as they seg nicely, Wax and Wayne. This is the Cocteau Twins. <laughs> Thank you. 
How are you portrayed? Well, sort of cutesy, innocent, you know, all that kind of rubbish. Yeah. Just because you talk quietly or find it difficult to talk about yourself or, you know, you fidget or something, they just zoom in on these things that you do and you're just, immediately... Oh, no. We just did this, uh, we've done an interview for Melody Maker? Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I sort of, I swore a lot in that one. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I swore a lot in that one. And we do swear. <laughs> you know, we do swear. <laughs> and, uh, so there was this letter printed in the week after that, you know, and, uh... So shocked, yeah. yeah. God. Guthrie and Heggie, both from Grangemouth, Scotland, formed the band in 79. At a local disco called The Nash, they met Fraser, also from Grangemouth, who would eventually provide vocals. Uh, the influence, influences at the time included The Birthday Party, Sex Pistols, Susie and the Banshees, and Kate Bush. You see, folks, how this is all tying together? You see why I'm doing this? I hope you're getting it. Uh, the band was named after the song The Cocteau Twins by fellow Scotsman Johnny and the Self-Abusers, who later renamed themselves Simple Minds. Garland's released in 82 was an instant success, as was the subsequent LPs and uh, recordings as well. This band uh, released a single in 1983. I'm going to go ahead and jump to that. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve, the Cocteau Cocteau Twins. Here's Peppermint Pig, 1983 single. I jumped ahead. You know what? I'd rather just go ahead and uh, admit my mistake and carry on with correct information. Musette and Drums. This is on the LP Head Over Heels. We'll go back to the 1983 single Peppermint Pig on the next one. Musette and drums, head over heels.
WRFNLP Pasquo. Cocteau Twins, you're listening to Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. You know, I like playing their early stuff, but they went on to do some more amazing stuff as well. I continue, uh, well, I encourage you to check it out. And I'm moving right along. This English post-punk band was formed in Middleton, Greater Manchester in 1981. And originally consisted of singer and bassist Mark Burgess, guitarist Reg Smithies, guitarist Dave Fielding, and drummer John Lever who replaced the original drummer, Brian Schofield. They released six studio albums, 
and one EP before disbanding in 2003. I'm going to play you one or two off the first LP, 1983 Script of the Bridge. This is Don't Fall. The artist is The Chameleons. In his autumn for the winter comes man's last mad surge of youth. What on earth are you talking about?
formed in 1981, got a John Peel session, uh, which went stellar, um, signed to uh, CBS for three albums, but didn't end up making any albums for them. We just made one single and then they kicked us off the label because we were too much trouble, because we were still punks. Um, and then we went into like independent land for a bit, made Scripts of the Bridge, which became a really influential record for a lot of people who play music. Um, you know, our audiences are predominantly people who play an instrument, you know, an instrument.
after performing several radio sessions for BBC Radio 1 DJ John Peel. The comedian, the comedian, the comedians, the chameleons were signed to Epic Rec- Records, and in 1982, they released their debut single, In Shreds. Though their contract with Epic soon ended, and the band signed to Static Records and released their debut, Script of the Bridge, in 1983. You just heard here today, and before that, don't fall off of the 1983 release. Keeping it going once more, here's the chameleons.
do you think about the 80s today? You know, I mean, I know it's become really popular, uh, the 80s these days, but at the time it was hard work. You know, you had like, you had an underground kind of thing going on, um, which was much more interesting to me. Um, and then obviously you had the huge supergroups like Simple Minds and U2 and bands like that, The Cure. I, I was really into Talk Talk in the 80s. Um, you know, I, I, I consistently liked the Bunny Men, obviously. Um, but, I mean, a lot of the pop music, used to, it used to irritate me. It was irritating. Duran Duran and all that shit. I hated all that. But, I mean, if Bowie was the one who made the great record with Let's Dance period and all that. I mean, they just showed them all how to do it, you know. Their second and final album for Static, What Does Anything Mean, basically was released in 1985. And following this, the Chameleons signed to Geffen Records, releasing their third studio album, Strange Times. Following the sudden death of the band's manager, Tony Fletcher, the Chameleons disbanded. However, in 2009, Burgess and Lever reformed to play, going under the name Chameleons Vox, and they continued to tour. Today, under that moniker, um, mostly in Europe, but uh, hopefully soon they'll uh, make it over on this side of the pond. Got one more here for you. The 1982 single, In Shreds, it's the Chameleons. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve.
Shreds. That's the chameleons. Check them out. You're listening to Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. Meow. I love it when that happens. Saves me from having to do it too, although I like to chime in as well. This next band, guess where they're from? England, formed in 1978 in Notting Hill in London. The original lineup included Jeremy Jazz Coleman on vocals and keyboards, Big Paul Ferguson on drums, Kevin Giordi Walker on guitars, and Martin Youth Glover on bass. This band played a debut gig on August 4th of 1979, supporting The Ruts and The Selector. I've got one for you right now. This is a 1979 release called Turn to Red. It's off an EP of the same name. Killing Joke.
Now, did you ever think that you would be suddenly so successful after five albums? Yes. Why do you think it's happened like that, that suddenly everyone's buying Cause Killing uh, Joke records? Because, uh, shut up a minute. Because there's too many hairdressers around, that's why. And, you know, fashion people and all those people, you know. And do you think that Killing Joke's a sort of good antidote for fashionable groups? You've never had much to do with um, fashion or <laughs> trend, uh, It's nice pen. Yeah, Hamburg Music's out this year, yeah. definitely. The Killing Joke's in. And it, it's also because um, we're just uh, the most brilliant live band in the world. Get it? Do you think that um, saying things like that has made you a bit unpopular in the past? Because you have had a terrible reputation for saying now, uh, outrageous things. What, with journalists, you mean? Yeah, with journalists rather than with Yeah, uh, we've got, we've got um, a good relationship with the press, actually, you know? Uh, Filth Street. You haven't got a very good relationship, though, because they do tend to make you out to be terrifying They always people. get exactly what they want and what they deserve when they come and speak to Killing Joke, always. You know, if, if people want to, if they're genuinely interested about the band, you know, they can, uh, we'll pick it up off them and we'll talk to them. But uh, if they want to sort of stitch us up... Uh, They'll get stitched first, basically. Yeah, we'll take them to the back alley and slap them around a bit. Slap them around a bit? Well, you know. Gosh. Turn to Red came to the attention of legendary DJ John Peel, who was keen to champion the band's urgent new sound and gave them extensive airplay. The production on that first EP was sparse with dub features. They soon released their uh, two-sided single War Dance and Psych, which was pictured as heavy dance music by the press, and the band had changed their sound into something denser and more aggressive. The debut album Killing Joke was released in September. I've got one for you here off that one. This is Requiem. You're listening to Ghost Town. Take care. 
Requiem, that's Killing Joke. And here's a 1980 single, Psych. Psych. Ah! You're feeling like you wanna go home 
do you think that you have recently changed your image much? I mean, do you think that it's true that you've got more sophisticated? Well, I don't wear so much wall paint uh, live, that's all. Apart from that, uh, we're doing a gig tonight, I think, in... Uh, We've never been associated with any particular fashion or trend. I'm going on stage in what I've got here, you know, which is quite fashionable, as you can see. Nice shiny boots. Having a nice my boots these days, you know. Um, no, uh... Got them off King. King? He used to be a copper, they don't say that, do they? Yeah, he used and to he be keeps a copper. that quiet, doesn't We, we found out about that, he used to be a copper, yeah. <laughs> now, do you think, you, you do quite a lot of the time gossip about other groups, don't you? <coughs> there are quite a few groups that you feel strongly about. No. No. Yes, there are. No, there aren't. Yes, there are. Not enough to mention it now. Oh, all right. Now, what are you going to be doing next? Oops. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to be uh, drinking some whiskey and doing a gig tonight. In Glasgow. Yeah. And then where? Manchester. Oh, I know. It's my birthday on Monday. Yeah, we're having a few friends around for a drink at Hammersmith And we're uh, Yeah, we're having a pie at Hammersmith Pally and, uh, on the 25th, and so come along and get deaf. Quite the uh, funny attitudes on these chaps, eh? You're listening to Killing Joke. I'm Creepy Steve. You're right in the middle of Ghost Town on this Sunday afternoon. The band released the album What's This For? just nine months after their debut Killing Joke LP. This was in June of 1981. Uh, for What's This For? they hired sound engineer Nick Lanay, who had previously recorded with Public Image Limited. That's... Uh, um, Johnny Rotten's uh, follow-up to the Sex Pistols. Uh, Killing Joke toured extensively throughout the UK during this time, and both fans of post-punk and metal took interest in Killing Joke through singles such as this.
Follow the Leaders, that's Killing Joke, off their 1983 LP, What's This For? Get with it, people. We're getting near the end here. Be sure and stay tuned to RFN Weekend for some uh, familiar jams to carry you through uh, this fine Sunday. Do not turn that dial. Do not change your website. Stay tuned. All right, going to go ahead and close out. Hope you enjoyed uh, the show today. You heard the workings of Bauhaus, The Birthday Party, The Cure, The Cocteau Twins, The Chameleons, and Killing Joke for your gothic Sunday. (laughs) Moving into October here pretty soon. Tell you what, each year's faster than the previous. Do you agree? Tell me. Tell me now. All right. I'm going to get out of here. Come back around next Sunday. I'll be here. Shout! This place.